You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me today, I, I won't say old friend, I'll say longtime friend, because she's still young. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Alice Stewart. Alice is a... Uh, well, she's a Republican. I, I, I heard the term operative, but I'm gonna, that sounds a little covert for me. I'm going to say I strategist. Like, I, I kind of like rational Republican. There I, I like that too. Rational. She is a rational Republican, and she's here to talk to us a little bit about the coming presidential race, so it should be a lot of fun. Stick around. We'll do this short commercial break. We'll be right back. <laughs> In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me is longtime Republican. Uh, well, how did you how did you call it, Alice? Rational Republican. Rational Republican. And I like, like I said, I like that. <laughs> Ra- rational. Pro- I was going to say level headed, but that, that works too, right? <laughs> that, that that works. And I just want to say uh, thank you for, we, you could say old friend, but as long as you don't call me a senior friend, then, then we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> No, I saved that for Michael Zeldin. Okay, okay, good. good. <laughs> and he'll get and like that joke. So anyway, <laughs> well, we're here to talk a little bit about, look, we're uh, as we record this, about a week away from the um, Iowa caucuses. And you had something to say, Alice, that I wanted to start out with. This is a question. You said that for Trump supporters um, in Iowa, and I guess elsewhere, that um, while January 6th was a bad thing, eh, it's not that bad a thing that they're not going to, vote for Donald Trump and they can hold out. They, they quote you say in two consecutive thoughts in their head. I, th- they would be contrary thoughts to me, but I get it. But explain what you mean by that. How is it that you can think that January 6th was a bad thing and still want to vote for Donald Trump? Well, you look, I mean, the reality is many people recognize the fact that we don't have widespread voter fraud and we do have free and fair elections and Donald Trump, uh, lost the election and should not have certified or questioned the certification of the elections and uh, shouldn't have d- played his role in what happened on January 6th and acknowledged that that was bad and wrong. Um, but they also realized there are other reasons why they're supporting Donald Trump. They they support, you know, where he stands on policy with regard to the economy, with securing the border, with safety, with, um, you know, individual responsibility, reducing federal government regulation. So, you know, a lot of these voters that stand behind him aren't single issue voters. And they're looking at the bigger picture as opposed to, quite frankly, um, the obsession with what happened on January 6th. Don't get me wrong, Brian. It was wrong. It should not have happened. And it was, you know, a threat to democracy. But at the end of the day, Republican voters would certainly rather have the policies of Donald Trump than the policies they view as failed policies of Joe Biden. So why doesn't that uh, translate to if they if they're against you know what happened on January six? Why doesn't that trans- translate into votes for either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis? 
Well, we're, we're talking about the, the GOP base, right? You right. Know, Republican voters. Um, and they listen to certain s sources of news and get their Gee, information. <laughs> and um, uh, three words, three letters that rhymes with box. And they <laughs> that's where they get their information. And what are they hearing there? They're, they're hearing what... Donald Trump has said from the very beginning that there was widespread voter fraud and um, that there was weaponization of the election process. And they're listening to what he says with regard to, you know, the the left is, is using the election system against them and they committed fraud on election night. And all of these challenges that he put forth uh, have not been um, fairly reviewed and Furthermore, these legal cases and him being kicked off the ballot in uh, Colorado and as well as Maine, they listen to what Donald Trump and their news outlets say that he is a, a target of weaponization of those on the left, whether it's the Justice Department, whether it is uh, liberal justices, whether it is liberal secretaries of state, they view him as uh, a product of liberals and Democrats who are trying to remove him from the election process because he's a big threat to to joe biden and they believe this is criminalization of the political and judicial process and as much as it sounds absurd to rational people his people believe that and they're going to stand by him and no matter what new evidence and information we hear about january 6th they're, they're going to still stand by him because they view him as a victim and they're not looking at it any other way in these constant legal issues he's facing more than 90 charges against him his supporters aren't looking at many of them based on their individual merit they're looking at these as a product of a whole uh, system that is out to get donald trump and they're not going to view it any other way because that's what they've been told by not just donald trump but by the media outlets that they get their information from so let me get it straight. At the beginning, you said because I, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote or misunderstand. Beginning, you said that most rational people, right, understand what January sixth was, and yet for the base, they're still giving Donald Trump. That that is two contradictory thoughts. If you you believe that the the system is fair, but the system is screwing over Donald Trump, and therefore you, how do you, how the hell do you come? I, I want to know as a Republican if you are Nikki Haley. Or you are anybody else running for for office, and and I say this because honestly, I think Nikki Haley presents the biggest problem for the Democrats. If she were to get the nomination, right. look, right. the Republicans would then nominate and elect not only the first female president but the first female minority president, and then at that point in time, they would turn around and look at the left, stick their tongues out, and go, "Beat you to it," and you know you're not as as open-minded as you claim you are so with that being said how is if you were nikki haley do you combat that the contradictory thoughts that trump supporters hold in their head look i, I think whether it's nikki haley or or desantis and vivek pretty much all the challengers against donald trump except for chris christie have tried to navigate the around around uh direct punches at Donald Trump and direct assaults on his claims that there was widespread voter fraud uh, because they understand that uh, they cannot alienate themselves from his base. And if you do too much of a full frontal assault on Trump 
with regard to whether it's the election fraud claims or any of these other legal perils that he's facing, uh, his supporters that are maybe possibly looking at somewhere else won't go your way. So, you know, their focus, which I think started off on the right note and the right idea, I think feel like it should have been ramped up over time. But, you know, you look at the main attacks from Haley and DeSantis from the very beginning is, look, it's time for a new generation of change. It's time for optimistic, forward-thinking um, leadership and not litigating past grievances and doing away with the chaos and division of the former president. And I truly believe that was a smart way to start off the campaign and uh, basically stepping your, stepping your toe into the waters of pushing back against Donald Trump. But over the last several months, recognizing that that wasn't making up any ground. And uh, if nothing, it's adding to the divide between their numbers and Donald Trump's. It could have been a little more forceful over the last few months. Uh, look, you got Donald Trump. Look at the numbers, the real clear politics average in Iowa. He's up 30 points uh, between the DeSantis and Haley duo. In New Hampshire, he's up 20 points. In South Carolina, he's up 30 points. So the, the divide between him and the non-Trump candidates hasn't really changed. And, mm. you know, without being more forceful uh, in directing your attacks on Donald Trump, I, I, I felt like it potentially kept them from moving forward. But but then again, that could have easily just, um, you know, poked the bear of Donald Trump and he could have done a, a attack on them and knocked them out of the park uh, so or the race. So. It's a, you know, armchair quarterback's a beautiful thing. It's easy to sit here seven days out from Iowa caucus and say, oh, they should have done this five months ago. That's easy. But, you know, it's always difficult to predict um, the landmines in any campaign that Donald Trump is in. So, and and look, I'll preface this this next question with my own opinion on it. I, I honestly believe that the kicking him off the ballot could end up backfiring more than helping. So with that, with with my bias involved in the question, do you think that, um, how do you think, how do you see him being removed from the ballot? Do you think it's it, it helps him or hurts him? Well, Brian, I think if you look at what's transpired since uh, Colorado removed him from the ballot, the justices there and Maine, Secretary of State took him off the ballot, uh, that's already backfired on Democrats. It, that is already, um, even some Democrats are saying, that's yeah. not how we go about doing this. It, it, we should leave this to the hands of the voters. Um, Brian, I was Deputy Secretary of State in Arkansas for a few years and we oversaw elections. And one of the beautiful things about American democracy is that elections are run state by state. Um, state officials oversee the elections for the voters. And ultimately, the objective is for the voters to decide who they want uh, to move forward. And I, I think it's it's wrong for the justices to take it upon themselves and the Secretary of State. And there's already been pushback, again, by Democrats and independents saying the purpose of democracy is for the leadership and the will of the people to be in the hands of the people, not elected uh, justices and secretaries of state. So. I think it's already uh, hurt them. I, I do think uh, we can check back on this. I, I, I do anticipate the Supreme Court to step in and say, that's not, not, it's not your jurisdiction to do so, and he'll right. be put back on the ballot. But by then, 
the damage has already been done. And it goes to further reinforce what uh, Trump and his allies are whining about is that he is a, a victim of the left who is politicizing the election process because they view him as the biggest threat to Joe Biden. And, you know, well, they, and they say it's the biggest threat to democracy. And look, I'll a I'll, I'll, couple of questions arise out of what you've just said. One is, do you still let me let me go back to the what you said? You worked as a deputy secretary of state in, in uh, Arkansas. I've worked as a as a poll worker. I've worked as a precinct captain in the past. And one of the things I always liked about American democracy is that we all pitched in, regardless whether you're right, left, middle, how you were registered. You volunteered. You helped put together the election. Do you still have that faith in the security of this coming election? Look, I think you're going to hear uh, concerns and calls for checking into this integrity of the election and audits of the election. And whoever loses, if Donald Trump loses, you're darn sure guaranteed there will be um, questions for auditing the election and recalculating the numbers. It was the biggest election ever. I'm the guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, mark my word, if he were to somehow win, crickets. You won't hear a word and everything is great and the elections are fixed and all is fine with, with humanity. But, you know, again, it, it goes back to, you know, this should be, you know, the people are the ones that should be making these decisions. It's it's up to. And so I'm asking, process. do you still have faith in that process and the people, the common people who put it together? I do. I, I do. But, again, yeah, you know, too. having seen firsthand, there are, there are enough checks and balances from the local election officials to they get the ballot boxes to the state capital and when these uh, votes are challenged look are there people on the local level that are democrats who would love to see the, the vote a certain way absolutely but right beside them is a republican who wants something different and at the end of the day these people that are in these uh, counties and these towns and these high school um, venues and libraries that are uh, running these elections so many of them are volunteers they're doing so because they love our country they love our democratic process. They love being involved in their community and they're doing it for all the right reasons. So uh, I think one of the, uh, of all the uh, collateral damage of the false claims of widespread voter fraud, the, the impact this has had on you know, well-intentioned election workers across this country um, is unfortunate. Because I find it the people... most debilitating part of the whole process is yeah. that that's how you can cripple a democracy if you make people uh, who are participating uh, wary of it. And so that's why I asked that. And yeah. I'm glad to hear your answer, because so far, that's what I've seen as well. But yeah, my other I, perspective. I, I, oh, no, no, go ahead. One other thing I think so many times we see. I always say, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, go out and vote. Yes. If you if you you see an issue you want to advocate for, go run for office. If you want to be part of the process, go, you know, volunteer at, you know, at the election uh, on election night. Go uh, get involved. Go go work in the elections. But it's just the the fact that you have uh, one person and a group of people, a chorus of people um, criticizing the integrity of well-intentioned um, people that are out there doing their part in our democracy is it's it's a darn shame. Yeah, and, and God bless you for saying all of that. the The other part that um, I, you know, the 
the Democrats would say that they're pushing back not at, on Donald Trump, not because he's um, the biggest challenger to Joe Biden, but the biggest challenger to democracy and that he's done some illegal things that need to be taken care of. While I don't disagree with that statement, and, and from what you've said, I don't think you disagree with with some of that, that, that Donald Trump has done some pretty hideous things, but it's the appearance of how they're doing it that is concerning to even some Democrats. Would you say it's more of an appearance or a reality issue? Um, I, I think I like, I think the word appearance is a little courteous. Um, look, <laughs> and this is, this is a thing I think, I think there are valid concerns for people to say what Donald Trump did, questioning the integrity of the election and everything leading up to before, during, and after January 6th. Um, it was a threat to democracy. There's no denying it. There's no disputing it. And you, you still know, think he, he is a threat he, to he, democracy? Uh, to our democratic process of free and yep. fair elections, yes. Because look, again, if you have concerns about the election, there's a process. You have 30 days to file an appeal and let, right. uh, the, let the votes uh, be retabulated. He did so in Georgia. Brad Raffensperger counted the votes three times and Donald Trump lost three times. If anything, uh, it was worse in his favor. And there's a legal process you go about questioning the certification of the elections. You don't um, take it into your hands like he did. But what I think is um, lost on many people, you say is interesting, when when Democrats say that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, I'm not disputing that, a threat to the democratic election process. But when Democrats and liberal justices take it upon themselves to remove a political adversary from the ballot, I think that's a threat to democracy. I think you're a threat to the democratic process when you're taking the vote of the people out of the hands of the people. So I think it's somewhat hypocritical for Democrats to to point the finger at Donald Trump when um, they're just as guilty of it themselves. And, and they want to say, oh, it's not us. It's Colorado Supreme Court or it's the Secretary of State in Maine. But it's still liberal, <clears throat> liberal justices and liberal secretaries of state. They're doing um, just the same thing to the election process that many people are going after Donald Trump for. Is there a point in time by which you believe that someone should be removed from the ballot? I, I, I hate to play, you know, hypothetical and speculate on that. That's way above my pay grade, but, but clearly, <laughs> well, you know, it, cause they're going to say, you, you know what they say? 91 uh, uh, charges impeached twice uh, facing 91 felony charges in four different jurisdictions, already the problems in New York and uh, and he's going to be fined what maybe three hundred seventy million dollars or thereabouts. Uh, he was found guilty in a, a civil court of of uh, I want to sexual harassment or worse. And um, so at that point in time, I, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> if he's not removed, Democrats are afraid that come uh, you know inauguration day next year, Donald Trump could end up taking the inauguration from a jail cell in and uh guantanamo or or in uh in kansas and then uh, call in you know at leavenworth and then call in the beast and changes uh jail togs hopping uh uh air force one and fly back to dc and be as he said emperor for a day or dictator for a day um well it, go yeah that, that's that's crazy and that's the stuff that movies were made of but that 
that could happen. He could yeah. be in a jail cell being sworn in. But Brian, there's also another beautiful part of our um, democracy and our justice system is innocent until proven guilty. And Donald mm -hmm. Trump's facing 91 charges and the very um, charge that the Supreme Court and the Secretary of State um, have removed him from the ballot, he hasn't been convicted of anything. And, and granted, the evidence is overwhelming. We see it with our own two eyes. We've uh, buried people as a result of that. It, it's it's undisputable what happened, but he hasn't been convicted of it. So to, to the idea of taking such an unprecedented measure to remove him from the ballot. Um, without a conviction. He hasn't, without a conviction. That's that's so that would what, be a determining factor for you. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if he was convicted. Took granted, you all to get so, there. You know yeah. I was going there. <laughs> I, I didn't want to interrupt. I, no, I that's all right. Let you, I wanted to <laughs> let you make your case, but that's that's the point. If, um, you know, while there's no disputing what happened, you know, the part of our legal system is everyone is innocent until proven guilty. And until that happens, if that were to happen, then yeah, then I think then we're in a different conversation in terms of, the, the authority and the the uh, rationale for making that step. On that on that on that thought, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have a little bit more about the uh, the Iowa caucuses. And I'd like to tap the crystal ball and see what Alice comes up with. So stick around; we'll be right back. Hey, just ask the question, podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me, uh, Alice Stewart. Uh, as always, great to talk to you, Alice. Thanks for, for being here. Um, always good and, to chat with you, Brian. And, and we left talking about, you know, <laughs> the possibility of Donald Trump being sworn in while he was in prison. Which is, you know, does sound like something out of a movie, but could be reality. But the big question I, I really have: Look, you, you are you you are in, involved in reality, and and you've pointed out the problems with Donald Trump, but there are a large number of of the GOP that hasn't. In fact, the current you know uh, Speaker of the House, and and we all know who some of the other bad actors are. I don't have to go into all that, but I, I guess. How do you see what would you like to see the GOP become going forward? And how do you think you get there with, when you have people like Donald Trump and, and a MAGA wing that's kind of taken over it? Because I ask this of, and, and I and I preface this by saying I, I ask it of every Republican that I speak with. And 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 all of them have very interesting, but they all ideas, but they all have the same place they want to be. So I cue it up for you. Look, I think we can all um dream that at some point the GOP will go back to the Reagan era where there's peace, love, and harmony in the party. <laughs> and we focus on, you know, the, the policies that unite us and not the personalities that divide us. Um, and isn't that at, true for the country though? Uh, uh, it should be, but, yeah. but 
you know, there's clearly there's policies that are not shared by Republicans and Democrats, but for the most part in the Republican Party, we're united on on policy, but that gets lost because of, you know, the personality conflicts. And look, I think it's, again, I, I say there's many rational Republicans that see the detrimental impact of Donald Trump, but look, I'm outnumbered in the Republican Party for the most part. Yeah, he represents he represents the the heart and soul and the the mindset of a large swath of the GOP. You go to uh, Middle America, flyover country, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, um, farmers, grandmas, grandpas uh, love Donald Trump because they feel as he he is the voice that they haven't been able to express. They they like the fact he is the the get off my lawn uh, kind of guy, and they they don't sweat and obsess over his um, despicable language and insults and uh, chaos and confusion. They support him because of the policies he represents, and they appreciate his willingness to fight for him. And the nonsense that he says when he talks about they're going after me. If they weren't going after me, they'd go after you. They believe that. They believe they're next, but they believe that Donald Trump is taking bullets for him. So, you know, it's going to take a while to get that out of, the, you know, the mindset of a lot of people because we need to get back to realizing, you know, we can have, you know, someone implement the policies without the chaos. And, you know, Donald Trump can be right on all these policies, but if he's not elected in November, it doesn't do us any good. So at some point, there has to be a, a decision by majority of Republicans that, you know, we need to get back to focusing on policies, focus on, you know, even, you know, the, the nasty word in Washington is bipartisanship and get someone who's willing to, to make those uh, difficult uh, steps and actions because we're not going to get anything done if we don't, you know, the well, border that... security is so important, and we can't get it done with the Matt Gates of the GOP um, lighting their hair on fire and, and, and wanting to fire anybody that got in his way. Lighting um, everyone's to be hair to... on fire. That's exactly yeah. You, you mentioned policy, and that's one of the things that Democrats will always say is that what policy? You know, they come in, they they rule, and they can't even get a budget and bipartisanship. I'll, I'll give Biden credit there. I think there's been some. Uh, resurgence under his uh, administration in bipartisanship that was you know we some of the bills that we've got passed including the infrastructure bill wouldn't have been possible without some work from the GOP <laughs> and and those guys should take credit for it uh, th those who voted against it probably shouldn't but I've seen them campaigning on it as well but you mentioned middle America and I I, I I'd like your thoughts on this I was recent I over the vacation, I've spent a, doing a cross-country road trip, as I usually do, and I was stopped in Chillicothe, Missouri, the home of sliced bread. I was, I, 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 I oh. that's that, sliced bread. Was, hey, Chillicothe is as good as sliced bread. So uh, I'm in this uh, little, you know, uh, diner. Could have been the diner. Could have been straight out of Soho or, or you know, East LA or or West LA, and. And uh, it was a nice little diner. And I was talking with people. A couple of them were Trump supporters. A couple of them weren't. It was a mixed bag in Chillicothe, of all places. But the one thing both said is that they're tired on both sides 
of all the infighting. And it has distanced them from uh, both Trump, who one of the Trump supporters said, I won't vote for him this time, not because of all the things that they claim that he did, but because he's he he looks like he's on a, a revenge tour. And so they're starting to see that. And the other one said, well, it's like watching reruns the third or fourth time. I know what he's going to say. He didn't do what he said he was going to do, and I'm still hurting. So uh, and then there's others who said, well, you know, it, Biden is the reason why gas prices are high. And so I'm voting for Trump. So you got a mixed bag of it. But the one thing that I saw was that people are are getting tired of of all the clashing in D.C. Once you get out of the bubble, people just want to, you know, as always, feed their kids, go to soccer practice, make sure they got enough for rent and move on. Do you think any of that is will have an effect on the GOP or do you think Donald Trump can steamroll right through that? Well, I think, you know, it's when you talk to people that are getting information from one side and people that are getting it from the yeah. other side, a lot of those people are already set on how they're going to to vote. You know, the when you head into a general election, there's the right and the left. And these elections are are determined and won by the middle. They call it the mushy middle. Here's the people yeah. in the middle that are still making up their mind. And many of those people in the middle are waiting to see what happens when we get to a general election. And Joe Biden calls for um, calm and he's Mr. Empathy and, you know, appealing to our, you know, better angels. But he's underwater in the polls on issue after issue because the economy is bad. And, you know, the he tells us the economy is good. And, More people are at work and, and, yeah. and you know, the employment is unemployment is down and yeah. money in your pocket is better. And by the way, the prices in gas have gone down over the last year, et cetera. Yeah. I, you know, he can say that, but that's not what people feel. And, you know, you, you know, so it's you, appearance versus reality again. Yeah, We're back exactly. to that. Yeah. And, and again, people don't like the way Donald Trump says things, and they might make people anxious, but the number one issue that drives people to the polls is the economy. And at the end of the day, that mushy middle might just say, you know, the chaos and um, confusion is is bad, but, you know, the economy is what, you know, keeps me up at night. And, you know, I'll, I will say this, you went to the home of sliced bread. I did a little informal poll in Sandwich, Massachusetts on my way to Cape Cod recently <laughs> while we're doing the sandwich. Um, we're on a sandwich tour. I'll go there the next and you got to go to Chillicothe. <laughs> I'll, I'll offer that. But, you know, again, doing my informal poll, just regular people, conservatives, Republicans, they roll their eyes at Donald Trump and they say, yeah, I'm sick of it. But if the economy's good, then I'm going to support him. And, you know, it might be not so much a support or vote for Donald Trump, but it's a vote against the so current would, status quo. Would they vote for it? This is where I'm, I'm I'm curious. Would they vote if if there appeared to be someone else that could take over that lane and implement the policies that Donald Trump says he's for and and they could give you know more faith in and in, in how in, in democracy than Donald Trump does? Do you think that? some of those Trump supporters would flip and in and and extending that. So, you know, he's all the polls show him up by 30 or whatever. What if uh, all of a sudden one of those candidates polls better in Iowa caucuses? Not much better, but enough to go, hey, 
I did better than, you know, because you know how politics works and it, appearance versus reality. Sure, Donald Trump won, but he didn't win by 30 points, only won by 20. And I picked up eight of those that he thought he was going to get. At that point in time, do you think that the the, uh, the mushy middle, if there is one in the Republican Party, would move away from Donald Trump? Well, I think right now the gap is so large with Trump and, you know, the, the others. Uh, the, the goal here is to have somebody has to um, over overplay expectations. Donald Trump has set the bar so high saying he's going to do so well in Iowa. He has to do really, really well. Um, and yeah, I think Nikki that's a Haley bad campaign or, strategy myself. Yeah, you, you always want to under promise and over deliver. I mean, you yeah. always want to do that. Like when you go to, well, the, you go to a restaurant and they say you got to wait half an hour. And if you only wait 10 minutes, you're like, oh gosh, this is great. Right. Same, same with, same with, you know, if someone says they're going to win by 30 and they only win by 10, then they're like, oh, that's not so great. So I think if if DeSantis or Haley can um, do better than expected, the expectation game is is a key part of Iowa. And again, I've won three Iowa caucuses um, with Cruz, Santorum, and Huckabee. And the goal for that is to have momentum coming out of Iowa, but you have to have a long-term structure and money to keep the trains on the track. We didn't have that. Nikki Haley does. Uh, DeSantis may or may not. But another thing to keep an eye on in Iowa is the goal of, of that is to win of the field. Who's going to get out after Iowa? Where is their support going to go? And, you know, that's that's just as um, something to keep an eye on as who does, you know, who wins and what the numbers are is who gets out and where do their people go? So who do you think gets out of Iowa? It's hard to say. I mean, Look, it's it's it sucks to drop out of a race. It it sucks because you're well. I see at least three that I, I mean it'll be Trump, Haley, and 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 DeSantis, right? That will probably. Do you see anybody else continuing after that? Well, I think look, I I don't advocate or support or encourage anyone to get out. <laughs> I do encourage a um, coalescing of candidates behind one candidate that's a non-Trumper, but you know you have to question what's the path ahead for. Chris Christie and Ramaswamy, you know, Asa Hutchinson is um, in the race as well. So you just have to question, you know, what's their, you know, path forward in terms of contributing to the future of the GOP? And that's, right. you know, the question that, that they need to have in short order. And of course, this would all change if Chris Christie suddenly comes up with a 20% in the polls or something that then we're going, okay, the rest of you got to go. <laughs> I think I think he's great. I think he he's got to, you know, hand it to him for. Oh, he goes right after to Trump. Stick it to Trump, and, and yeah. I think he 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 works the room. He's um, answers every question, and no crowd is too big or too small. And he's worked really hard to, you know, to campaign the old-fashioned way. Unfortunately, it just um, you know. We'll has see a, how how it yeah uh, yeah because I don't know about the polls at all this time either, but. I'll say this much. I don't know about you, but you've, you you were talking about Iowa. I have to give my hats off to anybody who uh, campaigns in Iowa during the bleak winters. I've been through the whiteouts. I've been through the, you know, you'll show up at mom's kitchen and there's six people there and are on a pig farm and there's 30 people. There's more reporters than there are people listening. And the poor candidates just look like they're going through hell. So I, I always, my hands are always off to them for going through it. But Donald Trump has it. He shows up for rallies. So that I guess the question is, is <laughs> you look at what the other candidates are doing. Does it look like anyone really has a chance 
to challenge Donald in in uh, in Iowa. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. I mean, it it is cold there. It's cold in New Hampshire, and you know, Donald Trump has the luxury of uh, flying in and flying out, and not having to you know bear the cold. And does that resonate with any of the voters? It clearly does. I mean, he's he's doing well in the polls, and yeah. you know, he's he's also you know, as we head into this final stretch, he's you know, in 2016, he did the podium campaign where he would just set out a podium and yeah. speak at 6 p.m. and the media would talk about it all day saying here's the podium Donald Trump will be at um, later and this time he the likelihood of him running a courtroom campaign is very likely he's going to yeah. be in court quite a bit while others are on the campaign trail and he's going to use that to his advantage to whenever he's got an event he's going to speak to the public about again what he says as i'm the victim and this is nothing more than uh democrats weaponizing the doj against me yeah i i've heard his curly from the three stooges defense you know he's a victim of circumstance i i've heard it for years um but i guess when it boils down to it give me your idea before we uh take another short break do you think donald trump will be on the ballot in November. I do. I, I do. Um, you know, again, you think it's going to be a re a rematch. I, I think it, well, let me just say, I think the, the likelihood of it are, are very strong. It, whether or not Joe Biden is on the ticket. Um, I think that's more of a, a wild card than, than Donald Trump. Really? You know, and again, I'm not saying that's, my preference and i'm not saying that that's uh in the best interest of you know the gop but if you look at where things are today um it looks like we're going to have a rematch even though that's not what the majority of people in this country want yeah i i have said i'm not sure either one of them will be on the ballot in november and i think everything from the actuarial tables to uh wearing orange to Nikki Haley surprising <laughs> some people will make a big difference. And that I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, it looks like we're headed for that rematch, but I would not be at all surprised if it was Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, or somebody else in the Republican Party versus Gavin Newsom or uh, or uh, Kamala uh, on the Democratic side. I wouldn't be sad about that, Brian. If you were right, I would be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we most of us will. We're, yeah. we're going to take a short break. When we come back, got a few more questions for you, so stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Uh, before we went to the break, I was talking to Alice Stewart, longtime uh, Republican strategist. You can see her. I'll let you plug everything you want at the end, Alice. But you can see her on CNN, MSNBC, and a variety of other places. Um, 
talking about the Republican Party. And I guess here's one that I've asked everyone, right, left, middle. Um, how much has the press contributed to the problems that we have in politics today? And just lay it on me. Look, I think um, it's called the news business. Yep. They present the news, and it's also a business. And look, if Donald Trump is on, on television, a lot of people will watch. And that helps the bottom line of a lot of news organizations. Um, that being said, um, I'm not saying that that calls into question their editorial um, decision-making process, but um, the more time well, I will Donald, but... the more time Donald Trump is on, um, the better for him in terms of earned media value, and the mo that's the less time that his challengers are on. So I, I think that was a big frustration in, in 2016, where we could have been in a cornfield talking with 100 farmers uh, about ethanol and issues important to Iowa, and Donald Trump's in his pajamas in his apartment calling into television stations and. You know, the, the answer I was told by news, the news outlet was, we make money when Donald Trump is on television. So they told I, you I think, that straight up. Absolutely did. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and you know, that being said, you know, I, I, I do credit people with having the good sense to make up their own mind and not being spoon fed information that um, they don't want to um be spoon fed, but look, you know, the media has a big, tremendous um, influence on the information people receive and right or wrong. I think, you know, it's, it has been a big part of getting Trump the name ID that he didn't necessarily need boosted anyway, but it certainly helps um, remind people, oh, this guy is, is relevant because he's on television all the time. So I, I think that played a big part in having Donald Trump, you know, be the GOP nominee and be elected president. And, you know, in some, some ways he was his own worst enemy, but yeah, you know, well, in many ways, he's, yeah, right. that's, yeah, everything that he's on trial for, he created himself. He's, he, he's not curly. He's not a victim of circumstance. And right. Uh, I also don't think he's Neo in the matrix and I don't think he's going to be able to dodge 91 bullets coming at him. And nobody goes 91 for 91, not even your best hitter in the, you know, in, in, uh, right. Major League Baseball. That being said, do you think Donald Trump is destined for prison, or do you think he'll uh, try to worm his way out of that? I, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I have faith in the legal system. I have you know confidence in those that are you know prosecuting these cases, and I have faith in the jury system that to make the right decision and the judges that are making these decisions. But you know, at the end of the day, um, whoever's the president could pardon him. You know. No matter who that could be, Nikki Haley has said if she were president, she would pardon him. Um, not, you know, even before we even know what he would be convicted of. So, um, you know that that's always that's always something to um, that won't consider. cure the ills in Georgia, though. That pardon that, me. That won't cure the ills in Georgia. No, he's found guilty no. there. Right. Yeah, because that's the statewide state charges. So yeah. Um. You know, I'm going to let the legal system. I'm again. I think it's important to not get ahead of the facts and let the facts. Um, lead where they may and you know he'll have a stay in court as they say oh he's gonna have a lot of courts court. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of days in court yeah, that's uh, what was it you know the the doctor uh who who was uh predicted he'd live to be 200 and uh i heard someone say even if he does he'll he'll spend every day of that in court for the 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> what he's facing, and he would. But uh, let's say moving forward, the actuarial tables don't get either one of the candidates. They are the two candidates. Um, what's your concern for the U.S. going forward? I mean, look, I was always taught politics was the art of half a loaf, that we're all in this together and we all support the Constitution. You may think we get there one way. I think we get there another. And we, you know, each of us uh, gives a little and gets a little to get to where we're going. Um, that seems to have been abandoned and we're more divisive than ever. Do you agree with that or do you have hope for the future? Uh, Brian, I'm not uh, um, Debbie Downer on Good. You know, the division in the country as, as some people. You know, I, I, I'm in a couple running groups and one of the girls I run with said that she just had anxiety in the pit of her stomach every day Trump is president. And I thought like, you know, isn't there other happy things going on that you, like to, to constantly be weighted down by, you know, what's going on in D.C. I just think is uh, not good. But at the end of the day, I have a lot of faith and confidence in, in this country and the, whoever's going to lead it. I'm not happy about Joe Biden, but I don't wake up in a fetal position every day worrying about it. <laughs> so I, I think I think at the end of the day, if, if things aren't going great right now in Maybe in November, things will turn around. And the, the good thing is, you know, the American, the will of the American people has a way of, of riding the ship and correcting, you know, the evils of whoever may be currently in office. And, you know, it might, might, Brian, quite frankly, it might suck today, but there's an election down the road and the American people will get us back on track. I have every confidence in that. Well, I, I, I will second that emotion unless, of course, he becomes, you know, dictator for a day. And then I, I right. kind of wonder where that will be. So uh, he could just say, you know, no more elections. I'm dictator for a day. Now now I'm president. For right. <laughs> that, uh, so that's the concern, I think, that the legitimate concern that, you know, it was Maya Angelou said when someone tell, shows you who they are, believe them. Um, and look, I didn't I covered that presidency for four years and have covered the current one for the three years. I. I'm right there close to it, and I don't feel that trepidation. I don't feel that epitomized, that angst. And I wonder where that comes from. But I, I, I do. I am concerned about the future of the democracy. So, how do you, how would you battle that if Donald Trump is elected? How would you say, hey, look? Like I, I think um, another we're going in quotes. So I like the game of, of Game of Thrones quote where it says it's hard to put a leash on a dog with a crown. <laughs> and uh, I think Donald Trump has walked around like a dog with a crown. And at this point, it's it's going to be difficult to rein him in. Um, but again, I think as much, you know, damage as he threatens to do on day one, the good thing, again, is there's enough checks and balances and he'll have people that will say, no, you can't do that, Mr. President, if he's elected president. And again, it goes back. You know, to, that's not going to happen, though. Uh, I, gonna, I don't know. Everyone likes to say that. And everyone but he's wants not going to put to, you in there. He's not going to put someone who's rational. He's going to put people that would only kowtow to him. Right. I mean, well, there a lot of people w wouldn't want to put themselves in that position, but he has, you know, he has good people. Susie Wiles running his campaign. She's tremendous and is doing a, a good job and he'll have enough people that will, you know, keep the guardrails up because, you know, they want what's best for the country too. And I know it's it's um, popular for Democrats and those that don't like Donald Trump to say, you know, he's gonna ruin this country if he were to be president. I just I just have 
have faith in the checks and balances that that we have in this country to prevent anybody from doing that. Unless he removes them on that day of being a, a, a dictator, I agree. That's, that's, Don't be such a Debbie Downer, Brian. Well, I'm just Let's saying, have a I'm just, So, all right. So, I won't be a Debbie Downer, but I will put you on the spot. You've run campaigns. You've been in campaigns. You've you've done a lot of campaign work. What would you recommend that Joe Biden do? What's your bit, biggest criticism of his campaign? He started out, and I, you know, making notice of January sixth. The other big thing that they've talked about is Roe v. Wade, but. How would you? What would you advise Biden to do differently if you were running his campaign? Well, look, you know, it's not a big secret, but ever since, look, I was, I'm a big pro-life advocate, and um, it's not a secret to look at the consequences of that from the Republican standpoint of what that has meant in the elections. Every time abortion has been on the ballot since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the pro-life cause lost. Abortion rights issues one every time it's on the ballot so it's not a big secret if i were joe biden or democrats i would put abortion at the top of the list of we're fighting for the rights of women's health care and that turns people out it galvanizes men and women people of all ages so i think that should be a higher priority than you know what they're talking about uh, threats to democracy and uh, political extremism because what we have seen, you know, my, my take is if if you see a winning formula, you you double down on it, and that's been a winning formula. So I wouldn't be surprised if, in short order, we see that move up to the top of the list of of where they want to focus on. And and when they're talking about the economy, it needs to be nuanced to the degree where I understand you don't feel this right now, but we're work, you know, we're gonna make things better, and here's where the numbers are, but. You can't just tell people the economy is great if they don't feel that. There needs to be a more nuanced messaging to where I know you don't feel this way, but the economy is getting stronger and we're getting, you know, they like to blame everything on COVID. They can say that we're getting further away from COVID and the economy is getting stronger and give me four more years and we can make it even stronger. What's the biggest mistake that Biden's made as president? Well, that's a good question. Might have to think about that one. <laughs> occasionally you know but well, I, I mean I, I i do think i know this is not a, a popular topic but i i think um the hunter biden situation is is a problem for him to unequivocally for years say i didn't know anything about it to then say you know i wasn't involved in it to now saying i didn't profit off of it i think the the evolving narrative surrounding that has been uh problematic but I'm sure they thought it was not going to go anywhere, but I just think the evolving narrative on that is um, is a concern, and yeah, it's, not just, that... it's not just it's not just you know Republicans in the House obsessed about it. I think it's it's a it's a ballot concern. I think it's a voter concern. It's one of those appearance concerns, right? Not, right. Not, but the reality is, it happened when look, man. The reality is, the poor guy's dealing with a son who's an addict, and and I feel. For what a parent would go through in that, I've had had those right. had to deal with issues in my family like that. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the nuance of that, I think, has been mishandled. Yes, I would yeah. agree with you. But um. Again, there. I I also think that the Republicans have overplayed their hand in the House by calling for an impeachment when they got no evidence. Right. Right. Yeah. Let the let the facts dictate. You know what you're going to do moving forward. 
yeah, and not open up an investigation to find facts that you haven't been able to find for three years. I get it. Yeah. Right. Do you think, uh, so what's your, uh, what do you think uh, going forward in 2024, the Democrats uh, hold on to the Senate or win the House or how, how do you see that playing out? I don't know. I, I think, I think the Senate's going to get close. I mean, it, you know, it's going to be tight as a tick. Um, I, I do know that the, the Democrats are putting a lot of money in some of these contested um you know, house races. Um, so I, I'd like to think that Republicans are going to hold on to the house. I think it's going to get tighter than it is in the Senate. Razor thin both yeah. ways, I believe. Right. And I'm just going to say, but I think, that. I think quite frankly, I think it, you know, divided Congress is a good thing. You know, ideally Republicans would have a clean sweep of house Senate and the white house, but I think divided government is actually the, a good thing. Well, it's a checks and balances thing that I kind of like. Right. Yeah. That, right. And I'm just going to say this once the tight is the tick comment gives away that you were once in Arkansas. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> For many years. Yes. <laughs> that, that's a Kentucky expression too. That's right. <laughs> that I grew up using. So I, I smiled when you said it. That's, uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you think the biggest problem is in American politics today? Uh, again, I think I think people get too personal on this, and, and I, I'm not blaming it all on on Trump. I'm not blaming it on the media. I'm just saying um, people get personal in terms of focusing on what's um, divides you instead of what unites you. I, you know, I've taught a yes. course on this, and, and I always say there's five C's in civility in, in American politics or four C's. You have to find common ground, you find consensus, you have compassion, and you have conversation without confrontation. And you can solve a lot of the world's ills if you show a little civility. And the first thing you can do is say, you know, here's a bad issue, whether it's immigration, whether it is the border, whether it is healthcare, say, where do we agree on this issue? And let's work from there. But instead, Everyone wants to see an issue and say, I agree this way is the answer and you believe this way. And they move further apart instead of coming closer together. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing is the binary on decisions. The, right. Exactly. Yeah, either or. I agree. That's that. And with that wonderful thought in mind, I'll, I'll, last thoughts for you, Alice, um, you've you've sounded you're not a Debbie Downer. You're not a glasses <laughs> empty person, um, but there are people who are going to attack you for being. Uh, a Republican and for uh, being part of the party that gave us Donald Trump. And uh, look, I grew up in a, in a, an environment where some of my family was Republican, some of them were Democrat. And, and then I was a reporter who made fun of all of them. So I'll, I'll say this going forward. How do you, speaking to the very issue that you just talked about the binary problems of, of, of democracy today, how do you personally attack that when you're talking to people, especially well, those who don't like you? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't like me. A lot of people have called me a lot worse than a Republican, and I know, I, right? <laughs> and and I just understand. Look, you know, again, I go back to you know, you can focus on how we're different. I focus on you know what we have in common and, and work from there. And look, a lot of people would prefer to you know, stay in their silo of ideology and not peer out around the corner and, and even listen to someone with an opposing ideology. I, I think that's um, not the best way to go about. What happened to variety is the spice of life. 
Evidently, it doesn't apply when you're talking about, you know, Republicans and Democrat policies. But look, I, I think, you know, people could either not have conversations about ideology or just agree. Um, we have these respectful conversations and agree to disagree. Look, when I talk with my Democratic friends um, or liberal, you know, students of mine, you know, I'm having a conversation. I don't expect to change their mind, but it's helpful to broaden their understanding of where I'm coming from. And when I talk to them, they're not going to change my mind, but it helps me to understand, oh, I understand why you feel that way. And if more people could understand having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you uh, only helps you to confirm what you think or to just have a better understanding why they are wrong, <laughs> as I like to say. <laughs> Look, Thank you for explaining uh, that. Now I know even more why you're wrong. <laughs> Thanks for having that conversation with me. You're wrong. That's <laughs> I thought you were wrong before. Now I know that you're no, wrong. Now I know you Mom? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, listen, uh, uh, Alice, I thank you for, for doing this. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. We got to have you back more as we get closer to the election because it's uh, voices like yours that we need to hear. So I, really, I would love to. I would love I, to. And I if I can plug, I have a yes. weekly podcast with my dear friend, Maria Cardona, a Democrat, and it's called Hot Mics from Left to Right. And we do exactly what I was talking about. We disagree on the issues, but we have respectful conversations because we respect and love each other and understand that, you know, the best way um, around these problems is through them and having these conversations with, you know, an open heart and open mind. I always love those. I, yes. Do, I, yes. I don't know if you remember years ago, Gordon Liddy and Lanny Davis would get together on his show. Yep. And <laughs> it was always a pleasure. And then Gordo would have me on his show to talk about it. it, it uh, one of my funnest highlights of, of, of those years was going on Gordon Liddy and listening to Lanny and him just go at each other. But um, I appreciate that, too. I think more people. I'll, and you want to plug it one more time. Where can we find it? Yeah, the name it's of it called is? it's on all the pl podcast platforms. It's called Hot Mics from Left to Right. And it's Maria Cardona and I. It's half an hour each week. We just break down the the news items of the week and end with what we call a meaningful moment. That's something that uh, inspires us, makes us laugh or touches our heart just because otherwise politics can be kind of depressing <laughs> <laughs> well and we need more stand-up comedy in our life <laughs> that's no doubt no yeah. doubt well i i thank you for for coming on alice it's always a pleasure and we look forward to seeing you again soon the the name of this show is just ask the question and you can catch us twice a week uh our our weekend review is called just ask the press with michael zeldin and john bennett from editor large at cq roll call we do that every weekend uh, as a weekend review. And then this is our main show that we do once a week as well. So Alice, thanks for joining us and everyone. Uh, thank you for making us one of the top 30 in good pods. So we'll catch you guys next time.